Well, good morning. Again, I'm Camper Monday, Associate Pastor, and I too would like to welcome those of you who are visiting. Uh, we're glad that you joined us this morning. So we are still at the beginning of a, of a new year, and, and new year, it's often a time for uh, new beginnings, uh, fresh starts, renewed hope. And, and renewed hope often comes through renewed perspective. And so that's really my, my aim this morning, is new perspective for us as, as we begin this new year, that we would take a moment to consider what's really real, what, what defines our take, what defines our perspective on reality. And so this morning we're going to consider the reality beyond reality. And to do so, we'll be in John chapter 11, uh, verses 17 to 44, to help us get a better grip on reality. Uh, it's found on page 897, if you're using the Pew Bible. But first, why John 11? Why the, uh, the raising of Lazarus, a familiar story for many of you? Well, today in the, in the church calendar, it is the, the Sunday of Epiphany, uh, January 8th. Uh, epiphany means appearance. comes from the Greek word meaning to show forth, to display, to appear. And the Sunday of Epiphany is a day to celebrate the visible manifestation of God's glory through the incarnation, God's redemptive activity in Jesus. So we started off uh, last week kind of building up to this. Uh, last week in John chapter 1, uh, considering the reality of God becoming man, the incarnation, the very heart of Christmas. And we talked about how the purpose of the incarnation is that we might behold God's glory, that we might behold the glory of God. We define God's glory as the visible manifestation of God's redemptive activity in Jesus, uh, something that we need to ask to see and something that we see through the eyes of faith. Well, the reason that God reveals His glory to us in the first place, as we'll see in John 11, is that we might see Him and in seeing that we might believe. That we might believe in God, in Jesus, that we would see who He is. And so today, this Sunday of Epiphany, be prepared to see an appearance of God's glory. That you might believe in Him that you might trust Jesus more fully. Let's take a moment to pray before we get into our text this morning. We look to you this morning, once again, God of glory, you who have made yourself known in the person of Jesus. You whom we now know by the power and presence of your indwelling spirit as we look to you in faith. And we need you to stir up in our hearts belief, trust in you. And so we ask that, that you would help us to see you, to catch a glimpse of you this morning, that we might believe more fully. So would you now open your word to us and us to your word, that we would see and believe. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we enter this story, let, let me give a little background because we're going to jump in uh, partway through. Those of you familiar with it will know that there's a man named Lazarus. Uh, he is sick and dying, the brother of, uh, of Mary and Martha, friend of Jesus. 
And word comes to Jesus about his friend's illness. However, Jesus does not go to him immediately, but rather says to his disciples who are questioning him, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the glory of God. Well, eventually Lazarus dies, and then Jesus goes to his family. And if you know the story, you remember that Jesus does raise him from the dead. But first, this is what happens. Beginning in verse 17 of John chapter 11. Hear the word of God. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, Mary rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. 
This is the word of God. Well, the Bible is clear. Reality is found in Christ. That's how it's put in Colossians. Reality is found in Christ. And the Gospels tell us that true life comes through belief in the giver of life. Namely, Jesus, the Son of God. Now, death is a harsh reality. No doubt about it. Death is a harsh reality. The ultimate consequence of our sin. But life is the greater reality. The ultimate purpose of Jesus' death and resurrection. And though death is the reality that we are, we are so often tempted to surrender to, to fixate on, to see, and to, uh, to be brought down by, though, though death is often seen that way, life is the greater reality that we must embrace instead. But how? How do we embrace the greater reality of life? The answer, though not easy, is simple. We believe. We believe. That we might believe and trust in Jesus, the Son of God, is the very reason that John wrote this account of Jesus' life and ministry. In his gospel, John describes a series of seven signs, the first part of his gospel, a series of seven signs or miracles, and they are all pointing to the glory of God. Well, here we see the raising of Lazarus, and this is the seventh and most significant or significant miracle in the series, preparing us for the ultimate sign, the ultimate sign of God's glory, Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf. Again, God's glory is the visible manifestation of God's redemptive activity in Jesus. And why does God reveal His glory? Again, God reveals His glory so that we might believe in Him. So that we might see and in seeing that we would trust Him more and more and more. So as we continue through this passage, I want to just briefly explore three movements of the story. Uh, Jesus' claim to be the resurrection and the life, uh, Jesus' connection with our human condition, and Jesus' confirmation of his power over death. Uh, So Jesus' claim, his connection, and his confirmation. So let's start with Jesus' claim to be the resurrection and the life. Uh, Verses 17 through 27. If you're like me, you're immediately drawn to the heart of this conversation uh, between Jesus and Martha. Uh, Let me reread, picking up verse 23. So Jesus, speaking to Martha, says, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Like most Jews of her day, Martha believed in a general resurrection, that God would not abandon his people at the end of time, but rather he would raise them up on the last day. He would raise them up to share in his new kingdom, a kingdom that was to come. Well, here Jesus proclaims, I am the resurrection and the life. 
In other words, the last day has come. I am God and I am establishing my kingdom. Believe in me and you will be a part of my kingdom. And today you will see proof of this reality. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Now, I took as few science courses as possible in college, which meant I took only one. I took biology because I had taken it in high school and I just was ready to get through with science. Now, I love, I know that some of you love science and I'm glad that you do because it's been very helpful in my life, but I will leave that to you, those science lovers. And I, I did learn in biology, for all the things that I, I forgot, I do know that biology is the study of physical or natural life. I have, I have remembered that, that piece of it. And you see, biology, it's, it's related to the Greek word bios. Uh, which, which simply means physical or natural life. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. But Jesus does not use the word bios. Jesus uses a much more profound word, a deeper word. He uses the word zoe, which refers to abundant life. Life as it was meant to be. Shalom, everything in harmony, full and complete life. Jesus proclaims, I am the resurrection and the Zoe. I am ultimate life. In essence, Jesus is saying, I am going to take on the sin of the world. I am going to absorb the wrath that sin demands. I am going to die in your place. Yet I am going to conquer death. Because I am Zoe. I am greater than death. And if you believe in me and trust me with your life, then you will know the greater reality of Zoe. And today, you will see proof of this reality. You see, God's kingdom has come. And is coming in fullness. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Are you trusting Jesus? So that's a look at Jesus' claim to be the resurrection and the life. Now let's consider Jesus' connection, his connection with us in our human condition, uh, verses 28 through 37. So we shift from the encounter with Martha now to the uh, the interaction with Mary. Uh, in verse 32, Mary uses the exact words uh, that Martha used earlier. She says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been present, my brother would not be dead. Well, what's going on? Well, a few years ago, uh, during one of those wrestle with God in life moments, and I, I've shared this with you before and debated on whether or not I was going to tell one particular detail, but I, I will go ahead and lay it out there. I was, I was in this wrestle with, uh, with God in life moments. I, in fact, I was, I was pretty frustrated and pretty angry, and I remember calling out to God and just saying, just help me see what is going on. I just need some perspective. Then, like a lot of guys... I ended that prayer and I turned on the TV, grabbed the remote control, started flying through the channels, looking for something to grab my attention, 
And here's the, the true confession. Rather than uh, landing on a sporting event, I uh, landed on Oprah. And um, <laughs> I realize for some of you I have, have just lost a lot of credibility. Uh, that was many, many years ago. Uh, <laughs> however, I realize with some of you I may have gained some credibility. So, uh, But seriously, I, I bring it up because I, I was immediately arrested by the story of her guest that day. Uh, a young man about uh, my age at the time uh, with Tourette's syndrome. Uh, now, if you're familiar with Tourette's, you know that it's a, a neurological disorder, uh, often characterized by tics and, and spasms, sometimes very minor and sometimes very extreme. So extreme that it can be uh, the loss of, of motor skills and, and the ability to control one's speech. And I watched as the, the heartbreaking story of Jeff Matavik unfolded on the screen in front of me. And I watched as the, the story was told of, uh, of this boy who was born, everything seemed fine, he was healthy, and then about age three, his parents noticed that he, that he had these tics. They took him to see the doctor, uh, and he was diagnosed with Tourette's. Now, Tourette's uh, is often uh, treatable with medication, and so they began him uh, on some medication. It helped with the, uh, the tics. Um, but as he was growing older, as our, as our bodies do, often... Uh, building immunity to certain uh, drugs, and that was what was happening with him. They had to go for stronger drugs and higher doses, and as he got into his teens, the tics became spasms. There, there began to be a violence going on in his body. By the time he was in his, his 20s, the, the violence was becoming so great and the medication so strong, trying to keep his body calm and under control. But finally, by the time he had hit his early 30s, the medication no longer worked. Uh, the, the spasms were, were so extreme, the loss of, of, of his motor skills so extreme, that I watched as they told the story of a young man, my peer, who had to drink out of a child's sippy cup because he could not hold a glass of water without the water being thrown everywhere. And if he did hold the glass of water long enough, the glass would probably shatter in his hand because he could not control the muscles in his arms or his hands. He no longer wanted to live. And I remember they interviewed his father, and his father cried because he could not help his son. And then his father admitted that he was angry with God. And I remember at that moment saying, yes, where are you? You say you are the resurrection and the life. Where are you in all of this? God seemed far away. He doesn't care. He isn't good. God, the antagonist, Jeff, the victim. And I turned the TV off. For a moment, I had lost the gospel. And as I sat there in my anger and my frustration, all of a sudden, the words came to me. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And I was brought to this passage in John 11. I opened up and read, and I, I remembered that God is not distant and disconnected. That through Jesus Christ, God has revealed himself as a personal God in human flesh who identifies with us, who connects with us in the pain of our human condition. 
I remembered that we are not alone. I realize for some of you this morning, you may be feeling very alone, even abandoned. But know this, you are not alone. Know that God, by His Spirit, by His Spirit, Jesus is present. And He identifies with our pain and sorrow. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Well, not only does Jesus weep in this passage, but he also gets ticked off. He gets angry. He gets mad. Did you realize that? Verse 33, and again, it's repeated in verse 38. There's a phrase there, he was deeply moved, deeply moved in spirit. And the thrust of this phrase is a grief that is born out of anger, rage. You see, Jesus is angry at death for taking the life of his friend Lazarus. Now, I remember the first time that I really began to understand what was happening in verse 33 and verse 38, this being deeply moved and troubled. I was in seminary. A friend of mine, Matt Swanson, the two of us were were paired up in a a preaching class, and we were going to be the first two preachers of the, of the term, and I went first, and then uh, Matt followed me, and I remember well what uh, Matt preached on that day, preached out of Joshua and being strong and courageous, and little did any of us know that uh, Matt was going to have to be very strong and courageous in the days ahead, uh, because I remember a few months later being in a, a New Testament class on Galatians. Remember very well where I was sitting, everything that was going on in the class, a class taught by a, one of my favorite professors, uh, Dr. Rick Watts. And there was a knock on the door, and it was a, a student from a, uh, who was not in our class at that time, and uh, Rick invited her in, and she said, I, I need to share something with the class, but uh, Matt has been, Matt Swanson has been diagnosed uh, with cancer. Uh, it's very advanced, and He's been given only, I think it was about three months to live. If I remember correctly, Matt, I think was 29. Uh, He was married, uh, married to Renee, three small children. And I remember as we sat there devastated hearing the news of our friend. But what I remember most clearly is as I looked at the front of the class and I saw Rick Watts. And I saw Rick, his face went red Tears were rolling down his cheeks, and he slammed his podium, and he said, I am angry, because this is an assault on God's good creation, and death will not have the final say in all of this. Here, Jesus is angry at death for taking the life of his friend Lazarus. A grief that is born, that spills over into anger. You see, Jesus is angry at the death of Jeff's abilities. Jesus is angry at the death of your friend or your family member. He is angry at the death of our hopes and our dreams, our abilities, our opportunities, Our relationships. It's not supposed to be this way. 
We were not made for death. And Jesus does something about it. In the words of John Calvin, Jesus approaches the tomb as a champion who prepares for conflict. As a champion who prepares for conflict. And then he shows death and us that there is a reality beyond reality. The greater reality of life. And that leads to our final point. So finally, let's look at Jesus' confirmation of his power over death. Verses 38 to 44. In righteous anger toward death, Jesus tells the people to open the tomb. Now Martha, struggling to to trust Jesus, she objects. I mean, come on, she knows how this works. Her brother has been dead for four days. If you remove that rock from the entrance of this tomb, it is going to reek. That is my brother rotting inside. But whereas death is about decomposition, Jesus, the giver of life, is about recomposition. About renewal of the whole person, body, soul, and spirit. And he reminds Martha, verse 40. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? The primary reason for this miracle is that we might believe. That we might believe that Jesus was sent by God. That we might believe... That in fact he is God. The giver of life. Jesus then calls Lazarus by name out of the grave. And Lazarus comes out. The word of God speaks. And the dead receive life. And we behold his glory. You see this sign points to God's glory. His redemptive activity. Jesus is all about bringing new life where there is death. Okay, back to Jeff Matavik, uh, Jeff Matavik, uh, for just a moment, the young man uh, with Tourette's. I did turn the TV back on that afternoon, and I'm glad that I did, because I got to see how the story for Jeff was unfolding. He was treated in Cleveland with what's uh, called deep brain stimulation surgery, DBS. It was a groundbreaking procedure at the time, the first time that it had ever been performed on someone with Tourette's. High risk was involved. No one knew if Jeff was going to make it. And I remember as the the video footage uh, unfolded, explaining the medical process, how they had to map out Jeff's brain, and, and then how they had to go in very precisely because they had to get very deep within his brain, two electrodes... Uh, one on the right side, one on the left, implanted, and then run by wires through the back of his head, behind his ears, over his shoulders, and in uh, to the front of his chest cavity, uh, connected to a pacemaker, one on the right side, one on the left side. And Of course, it was a long and grueling surgery, hours and hours, and like with every surgery, there's a a time of recovery. So after Jeff's uh, recovery from surgery, he was uh, dressed and brought into the room where one of the doctors was, and still uh, ticks and spasms, and, and they had this part on the video footage. And what I remember so clearly is when that doctor activated the pacemakers. Immediately, Jeff's body was calm. 
the storm was quieted. Be still. Jeff was stunned. The doctors were stunned. I was stunned. And he began to carry on a a conversation. And then I remember the, the video footage ended. And all of a sudden, Jeff came out on stage. Again, my peer dressed in a suit with a big smile on his face, carrying a glass of water. And he sat down and had a conversation with Oprah. It was amazing. It was beautiful. Now, I realize not everyone gets healed like Jeff. In fact, this might be a very frustrating part of the sermon for you right now. You see, this text and this story raise questions that I I just can't answer. But what I can do is I can point to the one who has the answers, who in fact is the answer, Jesus. My friends, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back to renew all things, to restore a broken world, to bring complete and total healing for those who trust in Him. By God's Spirit, we know His presence and His grace now, but Jesus is bringing a future grace beyond our wildest dreams. And you see, Jeff's restoration, similar to the the raising of, of Lazarus, Jeff's restoration is just a glimpse at the fullness of God's kingdom. A sign pointing to the glory of God in Jesus. For in Christ, one day, we will be fully restored beyond our wildest dreams. Jesus claims to be the resurrection and the life. And He is. Jesus connects with us in our our human condition. And Jesus confirms His power over sin and death, ultimately at the cross and through the resurrection. But as we conclude, there is a a fourth C here, call. Jesus calls each of us. By name, Jesus calls each of us out of the grave to trust Him with our lives, to begin or, or continue a journey of hope and renewal. A journey that will one day be completed in Christ. And so at the start of this new year, how is Jesus calling you out of the grave? In other words, where do you need to trust Him? Where do you need to trust Him right now, today? What has you down? Discouraged? Frustrated? Maybe even angry? What has you confused? What dominates your thoughts, your your conversations? What struggle or suffering or sorrow or loss is just so overwhelming right now? Jesus is calling you to trust Him. He is calling you out of the grave, out of fear, out of guilt, out of anxiety, out of shame. Jesus is calling you out of pride, insecurity, self-righteousness. He's calling you out of denial. 
He is calling you to life. So in the midst of our very real struggles and pains, hear the call of Jesus. Hear the word of God and know real hope in real life as you trust in him. Please pray with me.